You're listening to Sound Funding, conversations with Europe's leading investors for impact. Today, I spoke with Luca Zerbini, founding partner and CEO of Unaterra Venture Capital Fund in Zurich. Luca is both a force of nature and a force for nature, deploying $200 million in the fight against carbon emissions and plastic waste. We talked about how a background in industry can be a huge asset as an investor, why radical collaboration is the way to solve wicked problems, and an upcoming book. I'm Ryan Grant-Little. Thanks for joining. Luca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. You're the founding partner and CEO of Unaterra, which is a $200 million VC fund focused on climate change mitigation and biodiversity restoration in Europe. Talk about the fund's investment thesis, the types of investments it makes in terms of ticket sizes, stages, geographies, and themes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, first of all, yes, Unaterra is a VC fund, is an impact fund, you know, Article 9 and, you know, involved in mostly of the important initiative of the global level to make a, a change from an environmental perspective. Our target are indeed climate change mitigation and biodiversity loss restoration. Specifically, we track uh, CO2 equivalent emissions and plastic waste uh, related to biodiversity. Since uh, you know that last year in the agreement that was made in Montreal, there is still not a clear parameter that is going to be used for biodiversity loss. But uh, of course, uh, there is some work happening to get an alignment on that. So for the time being, we use plastic. And in the future, when there is such an agreement, as there is on greenhouse gas or CO2 emissions, we're going to be able to adopt the same. The focus of the fund is really Series A. And later, typically, we invest uh, 3 to $5 million in an initial round. We are very often or almost entirely lead in rounds. And uh, we take you know board position, but we support extensively companies in terms of growth uh, and uh, you know other needs that they may have beyond the capital. This is because most of my partners are, I would say, coming from an operating background. We've all been uh, CEOs or very senior executive of a very large corporation or smaller corporation with private equity backing or not. And so we have. Uh, that type of experience to provide to companies, commercial introduction, new market entry, whatever is needed. We also focus mostly on circular economy. Now, the reason we decided to do that is because there is a lot more capital already allocated on energy transition and mobility, which are the two other areas that uh, have a significant impact on CO2 emission. And they account for more or less together for 55% of CO2 emission. All the others, which are the one we focus on, there is a lot less capital and a lot less people, I would say also, that can really have an impact there. So there are sectors like packaging, waste management, sustainable food, agri-tech, fashion and apparel, as well as built environment, uh, clean finance related to all these. So the space that we cover with circular economy is more or less representing 45% of CO2 emission, but also 90% of waste that is not recovered or reused. So we believe as a significant impact, not only on climate change, but also biodiversity loss. And we, if you want, unlike most funds that are only focused on one you know, energy type of space or, or climate change in general, we saw from the beginning that there was a very strong correlation between the two. And I think in the last climate week in New York, uh, it was very clear that a lot of people now are starting to talk a lot more about biodiversity, 
So we felt really at home because that's exactly the space that we think is important. And that's where uh, our focus is entirely on. You mentioned plastic and CO2. What I found really interesting is that you spell out your impact and financial goals in much more specific and kind of a transparent way than most funds. And these include reducing two gigatons of CO2 emissions and one ton of marine plastic by 2030, all while making 25% or more IRR. I love this approach. And I, I, you know, I think we need more of this in terms of being specific about what funds are doing to target this kind of stuff. But I wonder, because you're a bit of a pioneer in this, what are the pros and cons of being so clear about these targets? Well, first of all, I think it makes it very clear that we're serious about it because we engage ourselves on this. And by the way, not only we engage ourselves, but 50% of our carry, so the profit of the fund, is linked to the achievement of the environmental targets. So the two gigatons of CO2 emission and one million tons of plastic waste in the ocean. And the other 50% is related to financial, right? So we want to make sure that the people that want to invest in this fund understand that it's as important for us the impact side as it is the financial side. So we're not going to trade off on the typical IRR that we want to expect from VC. We actually believe that sustainability can be a big value creation lever and can add to those results. But on top of that, we feel that we started an impact fund because we really wanted to have an impact and scale that impact as much as we can. So these are the parameters. We also set that bar pretty high. We work with uh, Cambridge Institute for Sustainable Leadership and with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation as well, which I know for a long time, to calculate those parameters. And we set them very high because we wanted to make sure that every single investment we make is going to have a significant impact on the environment and on the planet. So the value of having these parameters so clearly stated is that every time we make an investment, we're going to say, well, is this only incremental or is this really going to make an industry entirely as the potential to really make a change to the entire industry? So that's a bit... uh, the advantages. I think what is also important is that in nature of the company, we can then, of course, track many other parameters, right? If there is a company that uh, is also focused on the social side or governance side, we can do that. But what we integrate at the fund level is only those two. So we are completely flexible with individual companies that want to have more than these parameters. But if you look at the global risk report that every year is published by the World Economic Forum, These are the two top ones, and these are the foundation on which we can build a much better future. So we want to make sure that those are covered. Now, on the negative side, of course, I think the point is related to how do you make sure that these are really, you know, very well calculated and uh, certified. So what we've done to ensure that is that we have a, a sustainability impact committee, so a third party that reviews and certified these parameters not only the actual, but also the forecasted potential for each company, and then that consolidates them at a fund level so that we are not the one that, uh, I would say, uh, judge ourselves on the results, right? It would be a bit uh, conflictual from a, you know, a, a incentive perspective, but we have uh, someone that is completely separate from the company and also qualified to do this type of calculation and can ensure that and also on a yearly basis, we also do an audit with an external auditor, which in our case is Ernst Young, to ensure that those parameters are also uh, aligned with uh, you know, SBTI and everything else from a 
you know, targeting perspective. You mentioned that you work with the Ellen MacArthur Fund, which is the leader in circular economy kind of programming and thinking. They've been doing it since long before, you know, it was a kind of front page topic. And I get the sense, you know, from some of the things you said or written before as well, that you're a big proponent of, you know, funds and foundations and companies and different groups kind of working together, collaborating together in order to tackle some of these more wicked problems. Can you talk a little bit about that approach? Yeah, absolutely. We call this a radical collaboration within our team. We truly believe that none of this is going to be achieved by one fund or also by one organization. There is a lot of collaboration required to make this happen. Each of us can bring you know, different capabilities, different professional expertise in that. So we have started building what we think is a really good network to tackle all the issues that we are confronted with. The first partnership that we have set up is with the EIT Climate Kick. So Climate Kick is the largest by far accelerator in Europe. It was funded by the European Union 13 years ago, has been funded by the European Union entirely until now. Now they are also getting more private capital, but they have been able to help uh, and invest uh, only grants, right? No equity, but they provide uh, initial supports to 2,000 companies in this uh, period of time, all of them actually with direct uh, impact uh, either on CO2 emission or biodiversity or you know, nature regeneration. And they have uh, 13 offices in Europe, so they're very present on the ground. They can really see the best startups, fund them, support them, also with technical capabilities. So we thought they were uh, the best possible partner for us in terms of identifying those innovations that can really make a true difference. There are only two funds that have this type of partnership. Unaterra, our fund for growth investment or early growth, and another fund called Ship2B, which is a Barcelona-based fund that uh, focuses more on seed. So the three of us together, together with the IET Climate Kick, I mean, are collaborating for this initiative, which is called 1.5 Degrees, which means, obviously, we're going to be aligned with the European uh, target, which is also the Paris Agreement and the global target for emissions to uh, executing mostly on the innovation side. We have also signed agreements with others. We signed an agreement with a collaborative of chief marketing officer called the SHED that we are able to provide to the companies we work with. So not only we have very strong operating partners, but if we need someone that is say, a chief growth officer, chief marketing officer, this type of profile, they can be provided either as consultant or either as uh, interim management. So they can really get into a company, support those companies and uh, make them grow with the management team that is on the ground. And finally, we have already also signed up an agreement with the Foundation of the Prince of Monaco, which is being announced as we speak. And uh, this one is actually mostly to ensure that we have very aligned partner as co-investors because they are mostly focusing on oceans. And so circular economy, waste in the ocean, very well connected. They are, of course, they have a much uh, no, more known brand than ours. They've been working on this for uh, decades already. And they are a government entity, so they can uh, be involved in things like you know COP and the United Nations etc. So we can collaborate both on the sending the right messages in the right places, but also on co-investments, but also on specific initiatives that are at the crossroad between circular economy and the ocean in particular. So we're going to be together 
at COP in Davos, as well as in all the opportunities that we have to make our voices heard. And we will continue expanding this partnership. We have a number of others in the pipeline. But again, the whole intent of this is really to how do we accelerate the scale up of solutions that are targeting directly biodiversity and climate change. Speaking of pipeline, are there any specific types of interventions that you're looking at right now or particularly excited about? And maybe you could talk just for a moment about some of the investments that you've already made right now and what's in the portfolio. Yeah, so look, two of the investments we've already made that we're very excited about, uh, just to give an example, are uh, Palpex and Grey Parrot. Palpex is a paper bottle that we invested in almost from the beginning, together with uh, Diageo, which is the largest player in spirits, 20 billion company, public. And the reason is that we were looking for a solution to eliminate plastics. This is one of the many solutions that exist, but it's great because, of course, First of all, paper is much easier to recycle than plastic. Is In Europe, is already more than 85% recycled. Not only that, it's much easier to have already recycled material, so 100% recycled material. And uh, it also has the advantage that if by any chance it doesn't go into a waste stream, it's biodegradable because it's completely organic. So pulp is for sure a material that... Uh, very known. Not only that, but it works on the existing filling lines. So brand owners can replace the existing bottles and don't have to invest uh, significant capital to change those lines. But it's basically a plug and play approach, which is a lot of the thing that we like from uh, an investment perspective. So on top of that, we knew that we could provide this uh, solution to many brand owners. So we did a, a strategy that was covering pretty much the entire market. This is a 200 billion market globally. So it's a huge market. And we took the leader in each of the spaces. So Diageo for spirits, PepsiCo for soft drinks. They're going to launch it on Life Water. Uh, Diageo is launching it already on uh, Johnny Walker Black Label. And same thing for Unilever detergent, Glasses Klein for pharma, Kraft Heinz for food, Castrol for motor oil, Estee Lauder for cosmetics, and then a generic bottle for milk, which is done by Stora Enso. So the company already has over 4 billion bottles produced or in order, doing very well and expanding quickly into becoming a leader, substituting basically a solution that is not very sustainable with one that is much more sustainable and will have effect both on the uh, climate change angle, in particular when you replace glass because it's much lighter, does not require the same CO2 emission. And in the case of plastic, is actually a lot more on the biodiversity side so not causing issues like the one we see in pictures of, you know, turtles eating uh, plastics or, uh, uh, you know, fish, uh, you know, finding uh, microplastics in the ocean, etc. On the other side, Grey Parrot is a great uh, artificial intelligence engine in for the waste stream, for particularly in the sorting line, helps uh, separating the different types of materials. And you get a much higher precision compared to the typical either manual or mechanical separation. This one, in practice, gets almost to 100% precision, so increases dramatically the purity of the streams that you get at the exit. That increases the margin of this uh, recycling center, which in the past were not making particular money, but now they do. And so it's expanded very quickly. Already have more than 300 recycling centers in Europe, in the US, uh, with the investor close partners, which we brought on board exactly for the US expansion in Japan, in Korea, with other partners. So 
it's very interesting also to see that the data that you recover from this artificial intelligence engine is then able to be used to, for brand owners to A, improve their packaging, because they will know finally what happens really in the waste uh, streams. But second, because you can actually deduct uh, this from what is called EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility Fees, in Europe, and now happens also in other uh, countries, in other uh, places, you can actually reinvest a lot of the money that you're not paying anymore in fees into improving your packaging. So that's another great example of the type of investment we do. In the pipeline, we have a number of opportunities in different countries in Europe. One that we are going to invest in very soon is a circular economy solution for fashion. So we've been looking quite a bit in this space because it's one of the areas where there is a lot more waste than in others because also of the trends like you know fast fashion. And this one instead, of course, is uh, pretty much applying all the principle of circular economy to a company has been very well managed as well, grew from zero to 15 million in sales in a year. So really uh, looking forward to this uh, investment and uh, to accelerate also the impact in this industry. So all, all of these deals sound like they've got pretty awesome traction already. Where do you find these deals? Do they find you? How do they land on your desk? No, I think most of the times uh, they're actually referred to us by people who are in the industry. So this is the advantage of having a team that uh, fortunately or unfortunately is uh, relatively old or senior, let's say, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of network in the industry. So very often we will get someone saying, hey, you should really take a look at this now that you're doing this uh, investment for impact. So that's also why we speak a lot about what we do is a good way to attract uh, leads, either on investment or in other spaces. And that uh, has paid off. So, for, so far, all these investments have come through, you know, our private uh, connections network. I think in the future, we expect more of that also coming through the type of partnership like uh, we have with EIT Climate Kick or with some of the accelerators like, you know, Mass Challenge or others that are really established and have a lot of uh, very good uh, companies going through them. And so we can always, yeah, I, we are present in all of these by being uh, either judges or partners with uh, these type of companies. You talk about being an experienced team and um, a lot of you and you in particular have experience working in industry, you worked in packaging for a number of years. Does that experience help you to assess kind of these types of deals by knowing the problem kind of from the other side of the table? Absolutely. I think it's the main differentiator that we have. Uh, so very often it happens that after the first conversation with a company, they will be the one telling us, look, you need to work with us because you're the first one or one of the very few ones who really understand what we're doing, our industry, and you can really help us, not only with you know, understanding the technology, the innovation, the detail, but also you know the regulation, where it's going, or even more importantly, you know, like you have the network of connection with customers that can be very useful for a startup. So I would say 100% of the cases we had discussion with companies, they were the one asking us, look, can you be leading this round? Very often it's easy for them to find, particularly when they're a good company, to find enough money to close a round or even more than enough. But no one wants to lead because it does require some capabilities, some knowledge of that industry. And that's, I think, where we can really make a difference. You're not only highly experienced, but you're also quite high profile. So you had a, a large fund. 
but you're also a very sought after speaker on these topics. And with 12,000 followers on LinkedIn, you're pretty active and pretty visible there as well. So you're in a pretty good spot to kind of spot some of the micro and macro trends. And I wonder, you know, what are you excited about or worried about in the 12 months ahead? Well, look, I think, first of all, I'm excited about, and I'm a positive person by, by, you know, profiled by culture, I guess, but I'm excited about the fact that we are finally seeing uh, the momentum required to really stop uh, the use of fossil fuel. I think the momentum is really getting very high on the agenda as much as, of course, uh, you know, a lot of companies and even countries are pushing back. So I would hope and expect that uh, this COP uh, is going to make a real difference, despite, you know, the precedent of COP uh, and uh, the location. The second is that we're not talking anymore only about climate change, but we are really talking about biodiversity loss, nature regeneration, which are absolutely required to be tackled together. It's not, you know, that's why a lot of people talk about polycrisis, because it's not just one issue that we need to solve. There's a lot of many issues. and is something that only by converging government support and private capital and you know a lot of innovation we are going to be able to tackle. And I think there is an opportunity to tackle it again by having this approach of radical collaboration that brings together all the required people to make it happen. And I think there is also, I would say, a momentum that is growing because more and more people, unfortunately, feel the heat or the flood, depending on where they are. And uh, is I think this year has been unprecedented for that, and I think has brought a lot more people to the realization that this was not just some uh, scientific invention or some, you know, forecast is happening right now, and we need to address it right now. I think you know, as I did, I know a lot of other people who have left their career, left their jobs, whatever they were doing before, to dedicate their time on this, which is also the reason why we published this book that is uh, telling the story of uh, 45 women who left uh, you know, previous uh, jobs and careers to focus entirely on this. Because I keep getting, uh, if you want, and that's another positive, <laughs> we keep getting requests from, you know, how, how can I get involved? What can I do? And we try to provide an answer with this book. So it's going to come out in November, both in English and Italian. But, you know, I think the English version, of course, is going to be a, a little bit more global. So... We are going to be, you know, behind this book in particular to inspire and motivate others to do more and to push uh, as they can. They can push their government, they can push uh, the organization in which they are present to do more. I mean, it's everything counts. And it's not, I think, about individuals because, you know, yes, of course, every one of us can do better in terms of, you know, energy, how do we use uh, our electricity at home or the waste, but the ones who really can do a lot are government, NGOs, and large corporations, or even small corporations that can move in that direction, all their uh, way of thinking and their plans and, and their operations. What is the title of the book? Standing Up for the Planet is called, and uh, it's really the story of these 45 women that uh, are uh, telling why they left and give an example of something that they are really proud of uh, having achieved. A lot of them, of course, are very senior and experienced, but we also included a few very young and uh, you know excited about this uh, this change and as you know the new generation are definitely a lot more in touch with the planet than we were at their time so they are very very motivational in that uh, in the sense as well the other thing we did is that we have an introduction from a nobel prize 
from 2006 uh, that got the Nobel Prize for the IPCC work that he did, Riccardo Valentini. He, um, so he introduces why this is important. And then we have the, the stories of each of these uh, women. And the reason why we chose women is also because there is a big uh, point, I think, to be made in terms of sustainability on diversity. I see a lot more presence of uh, women than in other sectors. I think they're probably more in touch than men like us with uh, the planet and with the need to save our families. And um, as a result, as an example, we have invested so far more than out of the six companies we have invested so far, four of them actually, the CEO and founder is a woman, which is not, of course, we have not done that on purpose, but it's because there is a lot more offering and opportunities and interest from women. So I think it's another point that is important to make in this space. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and people can follow you to watch for that book for when it's available, but also to go down the rabbit hole a little bit on kind of some of your views on there being no trade-off between sustainability and returns, radical collaboration, and what it means to invest in climate change mitigation and biodiversity restoration. Luca, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. You can follow me, Ryan Grant Little, on LinkedIn to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find out more about the EVPA at www.evpa.ngo, where you can also find our sister podcast, Impact People, hosted by EVPA's chief storyteller, Ben DeVries. 